Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perry, Mark Scopel, Jared back on the show. Welcome to your Friday edition of the show. Uh, don't know where you are listening, but where we are, it's cold. Uh, I think winter has finally arrived in Eugene, uh, but nonetheless, on the recruiting trail, it's burning up. Um, Oregon's coaching staff has their last weekend here where they can have players on campus before National Signing Day. Um, also, unofficial visitors are going to be here, and we're going to talk about it. There's a lot to break down. It's a really impressive list of guys that are going to be here on, on campus. Some commits, some five stars, some official visits, some unofficial visits. They've got it all. Um, we should note, uh, we'll also talk about just kind of how we feel like this recruiting class is going to finish going into 2022's February signing period. Um who is here, first of all? The verbal commitments, the signees. Uh, it looks like every single um, verbal commitment and signee on Oregon's 2022 recruiting class outside of uh, Michael Wooten and Kawika Rogers. I, I know for certain Rogers is not here. I haven't been able to confirm or not conf- or confirm he's here or not here for Michael Wooten, but Everybody else is here for an official visit. Um, And how they were able to do this is there's an NCAA policy that if there's a coaching change uh, and you've taken an official visit to that school, you're allowed a revisit with the new coaching staff. And so uh, Jaleel Tucker, uh, Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart, Ben Roberts, Anthony Jones, Sir Mills, Trey John Williams, Justice Slow. Uh, all these guys have taken official visits and they're going to take now a second one to get to Eugene and meet up with uh, Dan Lanning staff. And I think that in of itself is a pretty big deal. Um, And it's also setting you up for the guys who aren't committed uh, to maybe have some extra ears and extra eyes and other guys just, you know, helping you self-recruit. It it reminds me a little of how, under the previous staff, and I wonder if Dan Lanning staff will do something similar. How, the the final home game was always kind of this sort of thing, where you would have a large, you know, a large contingent of your uh, commitments come on campus, but also some of your top targets because signing day was coming up, and you wanted to kind of have that last opportunity to make an impression. Um, and I think this year is this is more significant than than any other in terms of having. I know you talk about junior days. This is kind of your almost senior day, um, kind of an unusual mm-hmm. way to do it, but. This staff needs to meet with these players face to face and get everybody in the same room. I mean, previous like like we talk about Mario Cristobal and that staff, that was a big component of what they were doing in terms of kind of establishing connections because it wasn't just coach to player, it was also, you know, recruit to recruit. And I think it's important to establish those. A lot of these some of these players haven't been committed very long and probably don't have, you know, very strong standing relationships with the other Know, previous signees or other verbal commitments so makes a lot of sense to do this makes a lot of sense as you said matt and we'll get to some of the names that are um 22 sorry 2022 who could join this class um who will also be here but you know for them to maybe for those players that are undecided to maybe see the the committed players you know together and kind of see maybe some of that those relationships that can only help too so makes a lot of sense oregon has as matt we'll get to in a moment some big 2022s that are still undecided here um some players that were previously committed some new targets um you just hope that this is a weekend where the vision that Landing is putting, you know, into place comes together, and that the cohesiveness with this staff and and all of that just starts to kind of come together, and you can kind of see the long term vision. Because I'm sure that's what some of these, you know, these committed and signed players even are wanting, you know, kind of wondering about is 
you know, hey, we kind of – the players who signed signed on good faith, basically, right? I mean, they they had almost no idea who mm. their position coaches were going to be. Landing was announced like four days, five days, whatever it was before signing day. I mean, this all came together really quickly. So to get them all in the same place together to kind of communicate a message and a vision, I think it makes a ton of sense. So um, excited to kind of hear when this all comes together, maybe early next week, maybe after signing period, kind of some of the stuff that was said, kind of how this came together and, and, and what the, uh, I guess – Guess what the fallout is from it? The second, the the ability to have a second official visit is one of the few things the NCAA has yeah. ever gotten right. Um, it's going to play, <clears throat> excuse me, such a pivotal role in Oregon's recruiting class for 2022. Um, you know, just like Eric outlined, a lot of these guys, especially the signees and the early signing day, really just took a chance on what the Oregon staff was going to be. Um, it still wasn't completely full, um, but ever since it has been and ever since Oregon has been allowed, um, they've been hitting the recruiting trails hard and trying to get these face-to-face -face personal interactions with their commits, with their signees, um, just to give them an idea of what is actually to come. Um, but this is a, this is a mass, obviously it's a massive recruiting weekend for Oregon. Um, last recruiting weekend of the cycle. Um, I don't think it's, it's clearly not a coincidence that they are, bringing in some really high-end top 23 talent with people who are committed and people who have uh, recently committed, like Justice Lowe, um, to the point where, you know, they could talk about what they see in the staff and what this opportunity they think provides to them and what it could provide to 2023 players, 2024 players, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, I think it's a perfect blend of established you know, see high school senior talent to up and coming, also pretty established players at points. Um, but to give give the younger guys kind of some perspective on what this staff is doing um, and give them all just a general perspective overall from this new staff and where they come from and finally meeting face to face and all of that. I think it's going to be a hit. It just kind of feels like one of those things where it's going to be a hit. This is back-to-back -back massive recruiting weekends with a lot of talent coming in. So um, for, for Oregon staff to put these together on just honestly relatively short notice is impressive. Um, so I think it's going to be something that Oregon is just going to you know keep going from here on out. I'll be interested to see if Oregon in like the summer and the spring has a similar event to what Saturday Night Live was. Yeah. under the old staff um i'd imagine that they do do something like that just because i don't know with the way that they can that they've been able to get kids to at least visit on unofficials or officials whatever the case may be i don't know how they couldn't have a, an event like that with just a ton of talent and a ton of you know sophomores and juniors in high school yeah i i imagine saturday night live will remain in some form maybe under a different name maybe a different date yeah. um but I think we're all in agreement. It would be crazy if they did away with that. Um, right. And I don't think any of us expect that to happen. Um, two guys that were at this past Saturday Night Live that are potentially making decisions this weekend. Um, and two of them were not really sure if they were going to be on campus yet this weekend for official visits. One of them has arrived already, Jalil Florence. Um, four-star cornerback was committed to the Ducks. Will make his college decision uh, on CBS Sports Network uh, Monday night. Um, 
he's going to be giving a verbal commitment to either Oregon or USC. Four-star player, top 100 player in 24-7 sports' rankings, the 11th best cornerback, teammates of Jalil Tucker, um, both of them from Lincoln High School in San Diego. Tucker is here as well for an official visit. Uh, he signed with Oregon in the early signing period. I think, guys, of all the players, I mean, there are there are top 10 prospects in the 2023 class on campus this weekend. Um, I think of all the players, regardless of class, I think this is probably just getting Florence here for, for his official visit a second time is probably the biggest development outside of him committing to Oregon this weekend, if that were to happen. Um, ahead of his Monday decision. Um, I, I think this is a yep. huge win. The crystal ball has never really shifted um, with USC and getting him here literally 24 hours before he makes his decision uh, by the time he leaves Eugene is a massive win for Dan Lanning. You know what I remember is, is do you remember, Oregon would have, you know, past years with USC – Oregon would be in a great spot going into the last weekend, and then USC would have like all of their they have a similar weekend to what Oregon's doing. And it seems like Oregon's targets would always be a part of that. And then I wouldn't say always flip, but there were times where Oregon would lose out on players in part because of these kind of final weekend things in Los Angeles. And a lot of times it was in their backyard. Um, and it would kind of maybe happen almost a little bit under the radar of maybe no one was really talking about it. And then it comes out on Monday, oh, um, this recruit was at USC for the weekend, and now USC is in a great spot. I think Oregon having Florence on their campus is huge for his last visit right before he signs or, or makes a decision on Monday, as Matt said. That's really big. This is, and we talked about this on previous shows. Like to me, he's the most important target still on the board for Oregon. Um, you know, it, they need corners. He's, I think, not maybe not the highest rated or very, very close to the highest rated of anyone that's realistic that Oregon could land. I guess Josh Connerly is probably the other big name. But this is a guy you, I think you really need to land um, for a variety of reasons. A, he can help and maybe help right away at a position of need. B, mm -hmm. it's a head-to-head -head rivalry recruiting moment against USC, who's already had kind of their fair moments, you know, of, of shine here recently, you know, about the transfer portal, the Travis Dye moment, you know, uh, prior to that, they went and flipped a bunch of kids in 23 and several kids in 22 from Oklahoma. Like Lincoln Riley has some momentum right now. And if you're Oregon, you really badly need to win this head to head. I'm not saying it's the end of the world if you don't, but to me, it would be, it would be significant if Florence ends up picking USC. That to me would kind of, um, signal something because Oregon has a lot of reasons to be in a good spot here. They can, they can pitch playing time. They can pitch a defensive minded coaching staff, which Lincoln Riley is, that's not what he is known for. You can pitch the continuity with, you know, a fellow signee in, in Jaleel Tucker, who's a, from all, you know, all kinds of purposes, one of his closest friends. Um, you've got a lot of things in your favor and to have him here for the final weekend is huge. Um, closing on him feels like honestly a necessity for this staff and, if you do get his in his signature, that's big. That's really big for this class and how it's going to play out. And I think we're all pretty optimistic about where things are. I think where he chose to kind of be this weekend is significant. Um, but now we just play the waiting game, and we hope on Monday that maybe we're doing an emergency right. podcast recording Monday <laughs> evening talking about the significance of this in the couple of days leading up to signing day. And if he does commit on Monday, that does add a little bit of nice momentum for Oregon going into the last 48 hours before signing starts. Yeah, this is the most imperative uh, member of this 2022 class, obviously. And I don't really think it's, it's. I mean, like you said, Eric, I think we're all kind of optimistic about it. 
we will know officially until Monday. But I don't think it's really a coincidence that he's the last official visit that he's taking in the last weekend. You can take official visits is to Oregon. Um, it just in recruiting, I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But in most times in recruiting, if that's the case, and that's that's usually, you know, that's usually that way for a reason. But I think, yeah, Eric, you you outlined the pitch of what Oregon would make to him. Um, I think it's it's simple, really. It's just that, that you have uh, the ability to have an abundance of playing time. Um, you're a top 100 recruit. You're being led by a, a defensive-minded head coach. Um, just everything that you outlined is is. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough. It would be a tough thing for a lot of kids to turn down, honestly. Um, I think a lot of recruits do sometimes make their uh, college decisions on what school will offer them the most playing time, um, and rightfully so. People might think it's a selfish thing, but it's really just you know how can I get my name out there and how could I you know progress through the team and, and play the game that they love. And I think in this instance for Florence, um, there's such an open gap for this like corners three through, I don't know, even like the top three corners because yeah. no one's really a, you know, lockdown guy yet. And I I would be surprised if it were Florence who were the lockdown guy as a true freshman. But if he, if he were to commit to Oregon, he would have basically all the opportunity in the world to showcase that he is or that he's not. Um, him and Jaleel Tucker, I think as a, as a combination or a pair, I should say, um, would be just massive as well for the defensive backfield. Um, you could maybe slide Tucker at corner as as well and give Oregon just some more depth there. Um, you'd be relying on a lot of freshmen uh, or, or just uh, basically you know, first-year students who to the game um, with somebody like Darren Barkins and Jalen Davies and Avante Dickerson. But um, that's a lot more depth than you had just you know a couple weeks ago. So uh, I think it's – and it's clear that to Oregon, Florence is the number one target. Um, you know, there's a reason that cornerbacks uh, coach Demetrius Martin and defensive coordinator Tasha Lupoy showed up on his house at 1201 um, mm -hmm. on the first day that they could officially recruit for Oregon. Um, that's not a coincidence. Um, but I, I do like the recruiting battle side to it as well. Um, USC seemingly has you know all the momentum in the Pac-12, um, which makes sense. They're landing potentially really talented players in the portal. Um, obviously, Travis Dye is a really talented player that they landed in the portal, but they are you know making moves. You know Mario Williams, another wide receiver from Oklahoma, really talented player. Um, they could use a player like Julio Florence, who's going to have four to five years of eligibility. Um, is a talented cornerback. They need help on defense. They need help in their cornerback room. Um, and Dante Williams, we're all familiar with, is a hell of a recruiter. Um, if he if yep. he wants a player, he's going to do his damnedest to try to get him. And for Demetrius Martin, Dan Lanning, um, this defensive staff, if they were able to win against USC's defensive staff, that's that's great. That's a good sign for this year. It's a good sign for the future endeavors against potential. Um, recruiting battles with USC. Um, but again, we won't know until Monday. Um, but Eric, I did like that you mentioned the, the momentum it could bring Oregon in the final 48 hours. Um, I think that'll be momentum for longer than 48 hours just because of the implications of landing a top 100 recruit. Um, 
even though obviously he was committed to Oregon and has all this you know, love towards Oregon, clearly. Um, but landing a top 100 recruit, like basically before the buzzer, is would be a lot of momentum going forward, um, especially with the class of 23, um, and especially on you know, the, a day after the weekend where all these 2023 and 2024 kids are here to see what the staff could do. And then they see it in real life where someone does commit to them and does commit to this program and this new set of coaches. The other player, Dave Louie, um, out of Washington, Pialop, four-star offensive lineman, was committed to Mario Cristobal, but then backed off that commitment after he left for Miami. Um, he was slated to be in Eugene this weekend for an official visit. Um, as of Friday, 944 in the morning, um, it does not look like he will be here. Um, and I think that's probably a, a, a trend to Miami. That's where the crystal ball is already going. Steve Wiltfong, director of football recruiting, Brandon Huffman, national recruiting editor, have both thrown in some crystal balls while we were recording this podcast um, in real time. So it gives you some, some adjustments there. And um, it's, it's Oregon's in a weird spot and with a couple guys, Grayson Halton, the four-star defensive lineman decommitted um, and he will make his decision. He includes Oregon in the top three, but he was at Oklahoma last weekend. I think everyone thinks that's where he's going to land. And then David Lilly, uh, both players, I think Oregon would love to have, but both players are and they're and they're the highest rated guys at the position that they have committed, um, offensive line and D line for each of them. But it's also a position where there's a lot of talent on the roster already, and with the numbers so crunched, they're in a weird spot where it's like we don't want to lose our best player at that position, but this maybe gives us more room to go after receiver, for instance, where they only have seven scholarship players. So it's kind of a positive and a negative at the same time. You get you get to redistribute your your depth somewhere else, but at the same time you lose a four-star that you maybe were trending for with both players. Um, how do you guys look at Dave's decision and also Grayson's decision to decommit? Yeah, I think it's – I mean, those are two prospects that I was pretty high on, and I think – I mean, if you're being honest, I think most Oregon fans listening were as well. If you'd watched tape, if you'd kind of read up on them, I mean, I think it's kind of notable. Halton was kind of part of that San Diego trio along with the two Jaleels, and it kind of felt like that was a package deal. And I guess maybe if you want to be really you know, negative here, you could say, does that screw things up with Florence as well? And I don't, I don't, we don't think it does, but um, it's sort of a little bit strange. I will note that Greg Biggins did stop by Duck Territory and, and noted that sounded like Oregon maybe wasn't as aggressive in recruiting Halton down the stretch, which right. is kind of interesting. Maybe it's not a, maybe, maybe he doesn't fit some of the schematics. Maybe they like other prospects better. Maybe as Matt was saying, they feel pretty, pretty darn good about where they're at with defensive line, you know, just from a numbers perspective going forward. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's just a lot of confidence and there's not really a, a, a sense on the staff right now that that's a, a need to address. And they just felt like, Hey, we'll, we'll let him go somewhere else. Um, I'm still a little bit bummed because I was excited to see him play at Oregon. I thought he was going to be yeah. a good player. Um, and I, same thing with Dave Iuli. You know, I think that's we've, – we've, we've talked about this a little bit. That was that was the first four-star recruit from the state of Washington, Oregon, had landed since I think Jonathan Stewart. So 16, 17 years, which is crazy. And now it seems very unlikely he ends up at Oregon um, still. So that kind of drought with the state of Washington 
maybe continues, maybe it doesn't, maybe Connerly changes it, we'll see. But it's certainly, certainly kind of interesting to kind of see how that's gone. I guess it does make sense that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal being kind of the primaries and a big part of some of these offensive linemen's decisions to pick Oregon them having some success makes some sense uh, considering the relationships that were already built. But I think both guys could have been good players at Oregon. I'll yeah. say, I'm not going to disparage either of them and say, oh, these, I'm not going to sour grapes this. I think it's kind of a bummer, but clearly there's a, a plan in place. And I will say, and we've talked about this, the positions that really needed to be addressed. I don't think the interior offensive line is really a position of huge need right now. And interior defensive line, I think maybe in a couple of years will be, which is where Halt maybe was going to be effective. But certainly in 22, we talked about it. That's the strength of this defense is you've got Doralis, Popo, and now Tamani. Um, that's three three of the best interior linemen in the conference last year that you now have in position. So it's not like missing out on Halt and really hurt you in 22. But I think down the line mm-hmm. in 24 is where maybe you'd be concerned. I'm sure the staff feels like we've got connections in 23 and 24 that are that are going to be just as good. So. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a this situation where you kind of have to trust the staff, um, at least with the Holland implications. Um, I think they're both really talented players. Um, I'm not surprised to see Dave Aioli follow uh, Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal to Miami. It's just, it's kind of how it goes, um, especially when uh, I, you know, I kind of liken it to how a lot of Oklahoma players followed Lincoln Riley to USC. You know, that's like an offensive minded guru in Lincoln Riley, um, who knows how to get the ball to wide receivers, knows how to use a quarterback and all, and a running back, all these things that, uh, as to why Oklahoma's offensive players left when Brent Venables came in, because they didn't necessarily know who was going to be the offensive coordinator. Um, they ended up getting that solved, but it's the same thing with Ioli and Mario. Um, you know, Mario and, and Mirabal are two of the best in the game at developing offensive linemen. Um, I don't think it'll be it'll surprise anybody to see. Um, or, or Miami have the same type of success in recruiting offensive linemen as they did at Oregon. Um, that's just their bread and butter. It, it would make the most amount of sense. If you're an offensive lineman and you want to be developed by some of the best you know, offensive line coaches in the country, Miami is now an option. It used to be Oregon, and now it's Miami. So for Ayuli, I don't, don't blame that at all. I think he would have been just fine. Um, like Eric said, I think, our, I think Oregon's um, interior offensive linemen position is pretty deep. Um, Oregon also lost Logan Sagapulu to the transfer portal to Miami. Um, so that's another name to cross off the list. But I think this is this is fine. I think moving forward, um, you trust the staff and Grayson Halton. Um, he's, a, he's a very good player. Um, he's a four-star recruit for a reason. Um, Oklahoma is, you know, also run by a defensive-minded head coach in Venables. And so they obviously clearly made a really big push. They got him to visit. Um, you know, I, I would be hard for me to turn down somebody like Venables too, especially when they're putting the full-court out full court press as, as a defensive player and as a defensive lineman. And at Oklahoma, where playing time on the defensive line is probably better for me than it would be at Oregon, as Eric lined out with Popo, uh, Brandon Dorless, and Taimani. Um, it's going to be hard. It's a hard rotation to crack, and those are just the top three. There's still some more depth. They've already have two interior defensive linemen in this class. Um, Halton has, to me, had a Brandon Dorless type body where 
He would yeah. probably be more effective on the inside, but you could potentially move him to the edge. But, um, you know, this is how recruiting works. It's yeah. just how it happens. Um, it would it would be very nice if Oregon were to sign both of them. Um, that's just not the case. Uh, I don't feel like the class is going to be in peril because of it. It's already, quote-unquote, in peril because of the whole coaching change and, and falling with so many recruits. Um, but there's nothing you could do about that. Um, again, what Lanning has been able, Lanning and his staff, excuse me, have been able to do in the short period of time that have been able or have been able to recruit is pretty great. Um, it's it's significant. It's encouraging. Um, it's not going to be as flashy, or the recruits won't be as flashy as everybody would hope them to be. But with such limited options, um, the staff is putting in overtime and trying to figure out who's who's going to be the best types of players for them. And it may or may not be one or two of these players that we're talking about, and Iuli and Hollander might be both, it might be none of them. So you just, at this point, it's all about being patient and looking forward to 2023 because then the full staff will have all the time in the world in the summer and, and during the football season to host players and really establish their names on the field as well. Um, in 22-22, just looking to round it out strong with hopefully you know a commitment from either Jordan James or Julio Florence. Now, the players that are going to be on campus this weekend unofficially, um, or I guess we should talk about the, the, the other guy that's officially here. That's Arliss Boardingham, uh, a three-star athlete out of Southern California. He was here for a visit. Uh, he was at Florida last weekend or two weekends ago, excuse me. He's supposed to be here last weekend. That ended up getting pushed back to this weekend. Um, he's starting to trend to Florida, and this we'll see what happens here with, with Boardingham. He he's supposed to be here Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Um, honestly, to be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me if that visit just doesn't happen. Um, just a feel of of where things are at. Also on campus, Marion Winston, younger brother of former Oregon Duck Lamar Winston. He will be here for an official visit. Um, he was a former verbal commitment as well, and he's a four-star in 24-7 sports rankings, edge player. Um, I think he's probably one that could maybe give a verbal commitment this weekend. It's probably important to get him in the fold. It's an in-state guy. He was at Washington, I believe, last weekend, went to Florida two weeks ago. Uh, Florida, it's really weird. They're recruiting West Coast kids. They they, they took a Northwest kid to his verbal commitment. Um, just uh, you don't see Florida out here all that often, and they're like going after five or six guys. Um, weird weird deal. Twenty twenty three though, there's some big names. Five star quarterback Dante Moore from Detroit. He is on campus. Um, and then top five and five-star quarterback, uh, Nicholas Ilamaleve. Ilham, is, is that how you say it, Eric? You're better at this than I am. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Nick, <laughs> Nico I. Let's go Nico with that. I. And, and, and maybe we can get some pronunciation. That, that, that one's one of the harder ones. Nice. I, tried, I, yeah. I, I tried finding something, couldn't, couldn't get it. I didn't hear from anybody, and I apologize. Yamaleve? I don't know. Sure. That's a tough one. He's man. from California. He's a top five player in the country, regardless of position. 
Uh, he has already tweeted that he is in Eugene. He's bringing some of his friends that are high school recruits as well, including um, Jordan Anderson, a 2024 uh, prospect who has multiple Power 5 offers already. Um, guys, just the last couple of weekends, the, the quarterbacks that have run through, and now we have these two here, it feels like Oregon's trying to position themselves where maybe by, by end of March, April, yeah. May, they've got one of these guys committed and locked in. And we all know when you get a quarterback committed early, your recruiting class can fall into place in an impressive fashion pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, think about the 2021 class, Ty Thompson committing, I think in around March, right after the, I know was, I think he was one of the few visitors who made it out here right before the COVID-19 shutdown first started. Um, that was instrumental in building that class. You think about the receivers they were able to land in that class, the tight ends, you know, the just the, the running backs, the skill players they were able to land, the offensive linemen in that class. I and mean, that was an off offensively, I think that is pretty clearly pound for pound the best class in program history from just a pure recruiting basis. We'll of course be able to assess on field play down the line. But boy, they really landed some big guys. And I think a big part of that was they got Ty Thompson in the fold really early. And Ty was one of the alpha dogs out west. And if you're another alpha dog in another position, you know, you've got him to be your quarterback going forward. That's huge. So absolutely. I think getting one of these guys lined up maybe around the spring game, somewhere around that time, it's a commit maybe a little before. I think that would be huge. I did really want to really quickly want to go back to Boardingham, who just because I'm, I'm we talked a lot in this podcast about wide receiver being a need for 2022. It feels like yeah. Justice Lowe is going to be the only wide receiver signing in this class um, from a prep perspective, there's obviously a lot of guys at the portal. We've talked about some of them. just think that's kind of notable to kind of monitor Boardingham also it sounds like being recruited more for tight end as opposed to receiver based upon what Greg Biggins shared on the message board. Um, so that maybe that maybe they just didn't see him as a fit at receiver anyway. So there wasn't as much urgency. I, it's just kind of a little bit perplexing. I thought they might be able to kind of get involved and, and add maybe two or three total wide receivers in the 2022 prep signing class as opposed to just low. And I do really like Lowe's tape. We talked about him a lot, but numbers wise, they still have some heavy lifting to do at that spot. So I wanted to make that point, but yeah, back to the 23 class, getting a quarterback is imperative. And I think it's, if you could get, if you can have, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of names out West. And if you can just honestly pick your poison, you know, you, there's about four or five guys yeah. where you any of them, it's really significant mm -hmm. for the future of the program and for the 23 class and having Jerry, was it? I'm, I'm alive. I, I'm alive on, on campus. I'm alive. I don't I'm know. Um, having Nico, I'm alive on campus. Uh, and if he, I mean, that's to me, I mean, cause obviously we know, um, you know, there've been some other commits, but to me of the ones available, like he might be, the one to really keep an eye on. I think he's really, really talented. Mm. And I also, it seems like there's some pretty strong mutual interest. So um, this is a big one. Yeah, I, obviously needing a quarterback, you know, that usually helps in a recruiting class from time to time. Um, these are, this is three straight top 50, top 50 players in the country who are all quarterbacks. Three of the top five uh, who have visited Oregon the last two weekends. Um, Two of which are from California, and Jaden Rashada from Pittsburgh, and Ayamave from Downey in California. Um, these are this seems like players where you really just kind of can't miss here for Oregon. You gotta yeah. land one of these guys. Yes, and I think Dante. 
think Dante Moore is going to be a little more difficult just because he's a Michigan kid. Um, the fact that he's coming out this early for Oregon is, is, is already a good sign, I'd say. It's clearly never a bad thing if you're getting a five-star kid, a top-ten player in the country to come visit you. You'll take that all day. Um, but it really, you know, Rashada and Ayamave, those those two are should be your priorities one and two. And, it, you know, in what order that is for Oregon, we may not know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Oregon has to land one of these players Um especially coming off of a 2022 class, which is really just you know, not what they anticipated. Um, I wouldn't say a letdown just because of all the circumstances that go on behind it, but that's going to be, it's going to cap off your 2023 really, really early and in a good way. Um, you know, we talked about how Ty Thompson was somebody who committed in that March area um, before the season. So they don't have to worry about it. That seems to be the trend with high caliber quarterbacks. Um, they figure out what what school they want to go to early before the season and just focus on their game. Um, I think Jaden Rashada had an interview. I don't remember who it was with at twenty four seven, but he said that he'd like you know that he's planning on committing um, in like that May area before the season even comes close to starting. Um, so this is the time if there is any to establish yourself as Oregon, you know, as Kenny Dillingham and show what this what this team can provide in the future, show what the plans are in the future, how, how he'll be used as a quarterback. Um, and it would be, you know, good timing because Bo Nix is, is gone after the year. Um, he has two years of eligibility, but he's been on the record saying that he only wants to do a one-and-done type of deal. Um, and Ty Thompson is – you know, somebody who could step up or could not and where it'll be another QB competition if they bring in somebody like Dante Moore, Aimeave, and, and Rashada. Um, you know, those are all really, really talented players. Um, Eric, I like your point of bringing up the wide receiver conundrum. Um, it is still a conundrum. Uh, Justice Lowe is listed as an athlete on 24-7. It seems like they're going to be used, Oregon is going to be using him as a wide receiver. That'd be nice. Um Really, only like six, seven dudes on roster or scholarship wideouts. Um, not really sure what they're doing there, but um, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe Jaleel Tucker is somebody they look at as a wide receiver. Maybe we go back to, to Matt's idea that he's vocalized in this podcast many times of putting Brian Addison back at wide receiver. Um, I think they have options. It just seems like that is the position where they haven't thought or really made it a point of emphasis to go after it yet. Um, getting Boardingham would be nice, but yeah, like, like Greg Biggin said, um, more of a tight end. Uh, you look at his frame and then you say, yeah, I understand as to why that they're going after a tight end. Um, he'd be great as like a massive wide receiver like Juwan Johnson, but I think he is better suited to a tight end role. Who knows? I, I, I do think that they need to get, like, like we've been saying a long time, like two or three more wide receivers, just guys who are um, capable of, of playing that position with some depth, some experience would be nice, a Chase Cotto, um, somebody like that, just getting them into the fold. And because all it takes is, you know, one really terrible game and you got two guys with injuries and you're suddenly really, really thin at wide receiver. 
We should note um, other unofficial visitors uh, in this class from a, a, a lower level. Um, State of Arizona is going to be well represented once again. Cole Martin, a 2023 four-star cornerback who's committed to Oregon. Uh, his dad is Demetrius Martin, Oregon's new cornerbacks coach. Martin is committed. He's here. Kyle Casper, a, a four-star receiver. Jackson Bowers, a four-star tight end. Uh, both in the 2023 class, they are here for unofficial visits. Miles Lockhart, a four-star out of uh, athlete out of the state of Arizona in 2024 he is here for a visit um we we know Jaden lamar he is during this video this podcast has tweeted out a four-star running back from washington in 2023 he is here for an unofficial visit um it's looking like oregon has loaded up the class uh, the visit weekend once again and we, we said it on a couple podcasts and i think we're going to say it for a while um Impressive job by this staff to quickly move and, and get these top players here. And look, this is what was expected of them, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think, Eric, you've talked multiple times just about the recruiting success and the history that these guys have as assistant coaches from wherever they came from. didn't really matter where, where, where their stops were. They, they were elite recruiters, and the expectation was we would see that play out here. And, yeah, there's there, there hasn't been a ton of verbal commitments, and that's – and I'm not trying to say that as a negative, um, but what we've seen early on, this getting talent to Eugene will not be a problem. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that was always the expectation. And I, again, just and harking back to a point I made earlier, I, I, and actually, Jared, you did a good job of communicating it. Of this is where like the head-to-head -head battle with USC is important because it's not just 22; it's 23. Like I, I think what we're going to start seeing here over the next, I don't think I, I, I'm fully expecting we're going to start seeing a lot of head-to-head -head Oregon USC battles, um, mm -hmm. and this is no different in 23 and 24. And you've got to establish these relationships because USC is going to be alive again in Southern California, and they're going to be very, very involved. And for Oregon to continue, Oregon had a ton of success while USC was down in Southern California. Um, in 2019, 2020, 2021, pulling top targets from this, from that Los Angeles area. Think of the Justin Flows and Kayvon Thibodeaux, the five stars, the alphas that Oregon historically had never had any success pulling. And I'm not going to diminish the accomplishment. Some part of that is USC being what it was. And they're they're alive again. And Oregon is going to have to – a big part of it. Large, I'm not, large I don't part, know, yeah. A big part of it. But, I mean, Oregon – I'm trying to give credit to the previous staff because there's been a lot sure. of – Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. For the previous staff was blah, 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 blah. So trying to give credit. Um, but my point is just like, I think we're going to see like a full on, head on, head to head for a lot of recruits. And a lot of them are going to mm -hmm. be recruited out of USC's backyard. And we're, we've talked, we're talking about some of the names we're talking about today are kids from Southern California who are primary targets out West. And it's going to be Oregon, USC probably coming down to the wire. And then, of course, the Southern East, you know, you have to con consider the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC. But for kids that end up out west, it's going to be a lot of these battles, and for Oregon to make inroads really early is is imperative. If you're going to win these battles, you have to develop these relationships now to have any chance because USC is going to be able to pull those kids in for unofficial visits whenever they want to. A much higher basis. It's a lot easier to get a kid to drive. I know LA traffic's a pain in the butt, but it's a lot easier to get a kid to drive, you know, 30 to 40 minutes to get to USC than it is to hop on a flight. Probably, you know, they're not, 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 probably not necessarily a direct flight either, mind you, from Los Angeles to Eugene, because flying to Eugene can be kind of a, a pain. 
it's a lot easier to do that. And so Oregon has to maximize its opportunities. And having Southern California kids up here, having kids, you mentioned Jaden Lamar, some kids from the Northwest as well, it's really imperative to get this done early. And I think, um, again, 23, we haven't seen necessarily the fall through with verbal commitments. I think the next few months is going to be really telling in terms of kind of how these recruiting battles um, jockey back and forth. Yeah, I, again, this staff is going to be competitive no matter where they go. Um, I, I will, I, it'll be a lot of fun to see the recruiting battles that, that pop up state to state. Um, they, Oregon seems to have I, uh, some kind of a stranglehold on the state of Arizona the last couple of years. It seems like a lot of the high-end talent that that state develops is going to Oregon. Um, I mean, there's a, there's been a couple of like really highly rated players out of Arizona that haven't gone, have gone to either Ohio State or Georgia or something like that. Um, but that's still a state that they they need to have um, a lot of success in. Uh, you have Jordan Somerville and Kenny Dillingham have those Arizona connections. Um, uh, you know, Lanning was a, a GA at, at Arizona State, but still, that's a that's a significant state. But yeah, the the battle of Southern California is really important for the staff. Um, they seem to be making the rounds down there already. Um, I still feel like there's, while, while USC is certainly hot, there's still a lot of uncertainty around the program, but I do feel like that's going to be just a thorn in Oregon's side for the next couple of years if Lincoln Riley performs as he should with all, the, with all of the talent that they have accumulated over the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, I feel a lot more confident that Lincoln Riley is going to perform than I do Clay Helton. That's the thing. So... You can't just rely on 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 USC to have, ah, well, they have this talented roster, but there's no way they win more than seven games this year. Um, in a, in a few years, when when Lincoln Riley has his has his fingerprints all over the program, you know they could they could be a serious contender. They could be back to being USC, which is good for the conference, which is good for competition with Oregon. But in terms of recruiting, that's going to be a dilemma um, because. In the it was a long time ago, but in the Pete Carroll days, nobody thought to go into into Southern California and try to yep. take a recruit. It just didn't happen. No, it's basically a, a wall at the at the edge of California. It's like nobody's coming in because you're not getting anybody. So Oregon needs to continue to get people from that area. Um, I think a lot of a lot of Oregon's ability to get high highly talented players from Southern California, along with Clemson, along with Ohio State, along with anybody who decided to come in there. Was because of USC's incompetence the last couple of years. Um, they might not be incompetent anymore. They've already made a pretty damn smart move in hiring away Lincoln Riley. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how Southern California recruiting, you know, turns up. Um, but Oregon is still putting their foot down in there. Um, they're still going hard after San Diego players. They're still going hard after Los Angeles metro area kids. Um, like Eric's talking about these quarterbacks. Last couple of weeks have all been from California, except for Dante Moore, who's from Michigan. Um, yep. But the southeastern ties, I, I feel like, will come into fruition eventually. Um, Jordan James, running back, who's out of Tennessee, uh, current Bulldog commit, but is here um, or was was here last weekend at Oregon. Um, a lot of strong ties there. Um, those, I think, those will all come together at one point, but. You know, obviously establishing the state of Oregon is first. I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like that's going to be an issue. And you know, I don't, I don't, I feel like Oregon can can capitalize on Oregon State. Um, Washington would be interesting. 
I, I don't think anybody has complete control of Washington. Um, it should be the Huskies. It is clearly not um, any kind school in the last couple of years. State, if it's anybody, Jared, it's been the Buckeyes. Yeah, they've it, got it has Buckeyes. been. They've gotten anybody they've wanted to, really, unless it's a UW legacy, because then that's the only way that Washington has landed a recruit in there. Um, but like Eric was talking about earlier, you know, Oregon hasn't landed a, a four-star from Washington in forever, seemingly. Um, I think that'll be a priority, but Southern California produces the most talent. And then I think it's Arizona. And I think those are the two places that you must go after. Um, every once in a while, I was a Northern California kid who's quite good. Try to go after him. I obviously have to deal with Stanford and Cal, but I think that's not as big of a matchup as it is between USC. Um, I might mention UCLA, but really, it's just USC in, the, in terms of recruiting battles for Oregon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's transition now to just kind of projecting this class out. Um, there's about six spots right now that Oregon has available for scholarships in 2022 season. Um, Oregon could choose to, to sign four guys on uh, February 2nd and hold two scholarships for transfers down the road that play out. Um, we also know five-star Josh Connerly Jr., um, he is going to be making his decision in March. So you probably want to hold a spot available for him. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. I think what Oregon does from a, a results standpoint on Wednesday will give us a clear indicator of maybe where they feel like they stand with Connolly as well as transfer portal targets. Um, and look, this number could grow. You know, there's certainly a couple guys within the program right now that you know we're not going to out them, but it wouldn't surprise any of us if they ended up transferring, whether that was in a week, a month, leading up to spring football, after spring football. Um, all that matters is they have to get down to 85 total scholarships for fall camp, which would be in August. Um, and, and that'll that'll dictate a lot of what happens with who they add here. Um, if they go over six, we know that the staff is expecting players to transfer out. Um, right. We and real quick, okay. So let's let's look at the, let's look at some guys. We posted a story on DuckTerritory.com of who we project Oregon to land. Um, I think Florence is one that we expect, and Jordan James are, are, is another one that we expect. 
Kamari Terrell is another one that we expect. Three guys right there, all four stars. And I think if you add those three, it's probably looked at as a very successful national signing day for Dan Lanning. You you flip Jordan James from Georgia. You land a, a prospect in Texas and, and Kamari Terrell, who uh, a lot of SEC programs had pursued. And then you were able to keep Jalil Florence from going to your biggest competitor in the conference, USC. Um, and I think all three of those address kind of the needs, right, of – of or you know, some some of the not all but some of the needs that Oregon has in 2022. That was where I was going to start, Matt. Position of need, position of need, position of need. You need corners and you need receivers, or sorry, running backs. So you still need receivers, but running back still is need receivers. James plays. Um, yes. The Jordan James thing. I don't want to overlook it. He could play pretty significant snaps, like immediately. We've, I mean, we've talked about the running back shakeout. I don't. To, we don't need to go through all of that again, but like I mean, there's there's opportunity there. I mean, Cardwell and, and McGee or dollars is kind of what you've got right now. And there's other targets in the portal. We've talked about Derek Bassard before, but James, they needed a running back here, like just point blank, and, and we needed to, they needed a prep running back. And this is one that is obviously pretty well sought after. Um, mm-hmm. Notable that Coach Lachlan, also from Tennessee. Where he, that's where James is from. Kind of wonder what kind of relationship those two have developed. That'll be something that'll be interesting maybe to flush out over the next couple of weeks. Um, but getting a running back of this caliber from any part of the country is significant, much less somebody from the Southeast who was committed to a team that just won a national championship. And I think pretty clearly there was maybe something going on with Georgia and him in terms of might have, he might not have had too many choices to, to stick with them. But at the same time, like, this is a big-time recruit. And I think yeah. somebody who could, like, legitimately play right away, which is also how I feel about the two corners we talked to. We've talked a lot about Florence, but I don't know how much Terrell would play day one, but he would be in the discussion. He's in the mix. I mean, mm-hmm. again, there's, there's three corners that are going to be on the roster who really have any meaningful game experience and only one of them has any starting experience and that starting experience wasn't at Oregon that's Christian Mm -hmm. Gonzalez from Colorado so addressing corner was a huge priority for the staff and if you can say you you finish by signing three four-star corners out of you know two out of the west coast one out of Texas um, that would be a pretty darn big win in terms of addressing that for both the short term and the long term Um, and the same thing about running back you know I, I think if that if that's all that ends up happening on Wednesday, if that's all it is, those three, like I, I hope it's understood by the fan base how significant it is to yes. be able to secure these three. I think this would be a pretty big win. I know everybody would love to see Connerly's going to have to wait for that, but you'd love to see Josh Connerly just because it's a five-star and he's from Washington and it's an offensive lineman and everybody wants him. It would be point to you know Adrian Clem's development and it would point to the staff and all that, but you know that's a little bit down the line. Um, you, people of Kristen Miller is a name people have been talking about. Andrew Paul is mm-hmm. a name people have been talking about. Um, these are big names. Doesn't really seem likely that Oregon – those guys might, both might not be, end up at Georgia. Um, yeah. But needless to say, like, those three in and of itself I think would be pretty significant. And I still think you have room, obviously, in the portal to address other needs. And, shoot, maybe there's a player who decides not to sign right away like Connerly that pops up on the radar that plays receiver. I mean – yeah, I'm just you know, that I don't know of a player. I'm just saying hypothetically, who knows who's out there, you know, in about ten days when a lot of these players have signed and and maybe you can get in on somebody late. I don't know, but I still I, I know I hate 
I keep bringing it up, but the receiver spot, I'm just still a little perplexed with the plan is, is, is the only, it's the only position group right now that I'm a little bit like, okay, what, they might be a little shallow there. Cause I think you've addressed all the other needs, assuming mm-hmm. you land the players we've talked about. Yeah. Assuming you land the players we discussed and, and Terrell and Florence and Jordan James, um, definitely, definitely hit where you need to. Uh, we've talked about on this podcast multiple times before, but the ideal scenario for running back was a prep and a transfer. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel pretty optimistic that Jarek Broussard commits to the Ducks as well as a transfer running back from Colorado. Um, just provides a lot of depth. He's a talented individual. Um, could certainly be a, a contributing member for Oregon's team next year. Um, Florence, we talked about. Um, Kamari Terrell is a very intriguing prospect. Low four-star, but somebody who possesses otherworldly speed. Um he runs a 10-7-2, 100-meter dash. So he's somebody that you just kind of get on the field and, and see what he can do and teach him his you know teach him techniques later on um, because his speed is ridiculous. Um, he's just a player that is, was highly sought after um, out of Texas. Um, this is a, he's a cornerback, 6'1", 180, according to his 24-7 sports profile. It's good size. It's, that's a good, that, it's just good size for a cornerback. It's exactly what you want. Um, so he's another guy that you add into the fold from this freshman class who could compete for, you know, playing time at the corner basically immediately. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, you, you know, the scholarship limit and the scholarship chart is still a little, you know, unknown right now and considering players who could transfer, who could be out of here by spring ball, whatever the case may be is, um, you know, you'd like to save at least a couple spots uh, if you can. For somebody like Connerly, um, somebody in the portal, a wide receiver, um, like Eric mentioned, maybe somebody just doesn't sign the second time around, um, like Connerly. Um, I think it's, you know, it's always in this day and age of college football, I think it's always really nice to have a spot or two available just on a whim, uh, yes. just on a random transfer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what Oregon's going to do with that considering that they need to accumulate talent, not immediately, but basically immediately because of the departures that they've had in their recruiting class. Um, and we, we don't know who's going to transfer out. I can all but guarantee you people will just because that's how college football is. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how many spots they'll have available left or how many people that they do take, how many people they anticipate leaving the program pretty soon. We should also I, I the Jarek Broussard one is a good one, and I think you have to leave spots for Christian Miller. You have to leave a spot for Josh Connolly Jr. Um, yeah. if, if both of those guys want to come to Oregon, I, I think Connolly Jr. is probably the more realistic one happening with Christian beside outside of Christian Miller. Um, I just I, I don't know I don't know what it is. If there's nothing really trending right now for Oregon with Miller. He he loved his visit. His mom loved the visit. It's just a long ways away. He's from Georgia. Um, everything kind of points to Miller landing with the Bulldogs. But maybe, look, maybe Oregon gets a surprise on signing day, and you know that would be one in which it would be a surprise. I I, I think though when you look at the guys that we've mentioned. Um, Let's throw in Amarion Winston into the fold as well. We've projected him as a commit as well. I think the the remaining 
two to three, maybe four spots are probably going to be filled via transfer portal. And probably I think it would make sense. And maybe if you guys would agree or disagree with this, I think it would make sense to try and find transfer portal guys that are one year, what we, what we know in basketball terms as grad transfers, players with one year of eligibility, get them into the system, help you in 2022. And you flip that player again in the 2023 class so you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get someone who can help this season, but you also don't take up a spot long-term from a roster standpoint. I think that's where the Chase Coda name was yeah. attractive, position of needed receiver. What Matt said is true there. One year, I hate to use the term rental because that seems kind of productive, but kind of what it is. You get a guy for a year, you bring him in, and you maximize that time. Um, I think at receiver in particular – I would even be open to a two or three year transfer at receiver just because the depth down the line isn't, I mean, because you're only taking one in this class, it seems like, and they've already seen a lot of players leave. I know there's a lot of underclassmen, so I just think it would be, be nice to have a, another guy who you could count on for, for two to three years. But I, yeah, I agree in general. I mean, I think the thing that you have to recognize here is is for Dan Lanning to kind of get the system in place and build the team he wants, like, he needs to get his players here. And I'm not saying players of the portal aren't his players, but ultimately the more players he has to work with in the 23 cycle, you know, you'd love that class to be because 22 is going to be a small class. Like what are we projecting? 15, 16 preps, maybe something like that. 17 possibly. Yeah. Stretch. Like I'd love to see 23 be a class where you go maybe 25 and beyond. If you can mm -hmm. you know, put you in a numbers crunch. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me now for what that would require, but if you can get a somewhat big class in 23, I think that would be a deal. And that's where Matt talking about kind of one-year rentals makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I won't I won't belabor the point anymore, but, you know, wide receivers is a huge issue. Um, just getting the the one year, the grad transfers, somebody like Chase Cota would really help Oregon. Um, they just need somebody who has depth and experience in playing the position. Um, gives them the ability to <clears> – <throat> excuse me, sorry – um, gives them the ability to uh, take one or two people and then, you know, have that scholarship for next year like Eric outlined. It's, you know, it's pretty simple at that point. I think that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Approaching 60 minutes, we're going to make sure we stay under that 60-minute timeline. Um, plenty of coverage on DuckTerritory.com this weekend for recruiting. Stick with us throughout uh, the week next week as we get the signing day. Uh, make sure to take advantage of that signing day promo, 60% off right now, an annual membership. Uh, could get you all the way through football season, all the way through last uh, next year's recruiting period as well. If you sign up right now for and save 60% off, off, huge opportunity for you as a, as a non-subscriber to save some, ch some chunk of change and get on the site. Until we talk to you on Monday or maybe an emergency podcast this weekend, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.